Greetings, this is Kurt. Here we continue with the third and largest portion of Book One, Enchanter's Lot. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. We'd like to hear from you. Simply send comments, compliments, and questions to our email. If you care to be a benefactor and help in keeping these complex productions coming, it's very easy. Just buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with the description of each episode. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is episode 14. The Harkin Theater presents the sound plays of A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Book One, Part Three, Enchanter's Lot. Your club, second to the mage named Gaewan. The elephant swordsman looked up from his speculative stare at the cup of tea on the tavern table to meet eyes with a flaxen-haired, willowy female elf. Though mildly astonished at seeing a full-blooded elfin woman, such was rare in the settlements of humans, he noted her curiously disdainful air and her unusual accent. I am Clough. Second to Enchanter Gaewan. Brown eyes thoughtful, she frowned at the title he stressed. Is that different from a mage? Yes, and you are different from the others who pass through Hopetown. He took in her finely tailored garb. She wore a vest of light chainmail over a suede tunic that served to conceal her feminine attributes, much to his disappointment. A heavy, knee-length skirt of suede overlaid with strips of hard, polished blue leather and tall boots of soft leather scarred from regular use. She bore two daggers with chaste hilts at her waist. Drawing back her fair hair was a blue scarf tied around her head, leaving her tapered ears exposed. An unusual emblem, probably a family crest, was brocaded on the leather collar of her tunic, above which hung a heavy gold necklace plunging to her bosom. I am Princess Chania of Gramont. Clough hopped up from his seat and bowed respectfully. Apologies, Your Highness. It has been long since I was graced by the presence of royalty. Several lifetimes, he imagined, having never met royalty in this life, nor in 
when he wondered why she had chosen to come to his table, he thanked the powers responsible for bringing this full-blooded elf woman to him, something for which he had wished not long past. She smiled graciously, the aura of coldness evaporating. No need for the courtly formalities, Faircloth. The Isle of Grammont is many hundred dragon lanes from Hopetown and the old realm of Rue. I've learned to expect more casual treatment. He gestured to a chair at his table. Grammont is a good distance apart from many lands. Why do you, a princess, choose to travel so far and risk endangering your life and your royal heritage? She allowed him to place her chair for him as she sat. Grammont became too small for my comfort. I convinced my father that in order for me to be the best monarch for my people, I would need to see much of the outside world, what you swordsmen call seasoning. And considering that you are far from your homeland, how do you wish to be regarded? For once, here is someone outside my home who shows proper respect. Such a shame to waste his intentions. Please treat me as you would anyone else. I prefer to be one with others, not above or apart. She shifted uncomfortably in her seat and looked away, never convinced of this statement. It had been one thing to travel with just her personal guard and her half-elfin companion, quite another to mingle with so many foreigners, many of them either human or prejudiced against elves. And what brings you to me? She folded gloved hands on the table between them, her pleasantness fading as she looked directly at him again. Derwan and Lazar, tell me your friend is not responsible for the assault on us. His good mood suddenly dissolved, for he had just started to imagine a relationship with her. The two who accosted me earlier did not give me the privilege of their names. A strong hand clapped him on the shoulder as the dark-haired man and the elf he had met on the street sat to either side of him. I'm Durwan, mate. He grinned and nodded at his associate. And this is Lazar, Chania's personal guard. The imperturbable elf inclined his head respectfully, his gaze distant yet amused. Do you always arrange your meetings this way? Clough was not sure if he trusted any of them at this point. Forgive my associates, but we had to be cautious, considering what we've been told. Since then... I've spoken with the Royal Marshal, and he's confirmed your statement. Bounty hunters they are, and they're just as interested in finding this mage outlaw. It's not just a question of finding him, but of subduing him successfully. A burst of sharp voices entered the tavern, drawing attention to the doorway. Thasgar and Gan marched in noisily, obviously irritated. Behind them followed a man of medium height in miner's livery, tunic and breeches with hard leather sewn onto the shoulders, upper back and knees, and stained hard leather boots covered with gouges and scars. A roll of parchment stuck out from his belt, from which hung several small chisels and a hammer. A tarnished helm capped the back and crown of his head, identifying him as a high-ranking member of the guild. Engraved upon the age-worn helm was the insignia of a chisel and hammer, coupled with the branded runes of a local mine. His beard was thick and tangled, covering his cheeks and neck, supported by his muscular chest and bulging arms. Covered in a thin layer of dust,
dust, he puffed on a short pipe as he chattered at the two men in front of him. Clough waved to his friends. They shuffled hastily across the great room with their unwanted shadow. Just as they reached the table, Thasgar lost patience and spun about on his heel. Leave us be! Fellows! The miner pleaded with spreading hands. You are the most trustworthy sentries and hands the Greystone Mine ever hired, and no one can match Gon's mapping skill. Won't you reconsider? The archer shook his head with the slow deliberation of controlled rage. Trustworthy, we be called now. The last I heard, we were long tongues and rock mice for telling on chisel cheats in the mines. The miner looked at his feet and shuffled at the accusation. Well, we, we didn't know. Oh, come on, boys. He recovered some of his confidence and waved a rousing fist. For fellowship, I'll even pay Gon as much as you. He reached over to pet Gon on the head. The dwarf looked as if he could bitten off and chewed that hand. Leave us be, Kaffer. Gon's eyes flamed dangerously, his hand tight around the handle of the axe hanging from his belt. Don't force me to call a constable to get you off our backs. Clef observed silently that a constable would be the least of this miner's worries if he persisted. Kaffer's expression fell to exaggerated disappointment. Huh. Me old boys treat me like a crook. After leaving us to die in that shaft, me blood boils at the memory. Kaffer wavered on his feet between staying and leaving as he sought a way to salvage his immediate reputation among those gathered. Anger was his decision. Well, well, I hope you're fat and happy turning an old boy away, keeping your good fortune to yourselves. You just go on. With much theatrics, he turned to walk away, then spun back around. Call your constable, you lousy deserter! Suck a gal's teeth with your suckling maid! Why, that putrid sorcerer ain't any better than you! Gon's axe swung out like lightning, the flat of the blade catching the miner's shin. Oh, you rotten rut! Kaffir hopped back on one foot. Gon went to strike the other leg and bring the rat down to his size, but was stayed by Thasgar's hands on his shoulders. Easy, Gon. He was left to finding satisfaction in watching the miner alternately limp and hop to the doorway, where he bugled a final curse. Rot in hell! Except for the dogs barking outside, the tavern was silent, everyone waiting to see what happened next. Without a word, Thasgar and Gon rigidly took seats at Clough's table. The tavern slowly resumed its normal hubbub. Clough couldn't help but smile at his two friends. I'll have to get a new axe. Gon spat on the blade. This one's foul. Thasgar squeezed his shoulder with fondness. Gon, my stout fellow, allow me to buy you the first round of Trisk. Two rounds would be advised. Clef signaled the barkeeper. It'll take that much just to cool his temper. Gon bristled eyebrows at the elf. I'm used to being treated like a rodent, but I'll not stand for insults at Gaywan. Clef leaned back in his chair. I'm sure that will be the last remark Kaffer makes about our enchanter while you're still in town. Who's this? Thasgar took in the beautiful elf woman sitting across the table. He had set eyes upon many a fair 
But this one was of a finer breed. Aye. God's rage diminished quickly as he, too, became entranced by the fair-haired woman. There be fewer gems fairer than thee. Surprised at the eloquent compliment, she smiled warmly upon him. <coughs> he wilted sheepishly and averted his attention to his axe, polishing it with his sleeve. <clears throat> Asgar, gone. Allow me to introduce Princess Chania of the Isle of Gramont. She seeks our help in capturing a certain mage of ill repute. Thasgar stood formally, <clears throat> bowed, and took her hand in greeting, a grin shining out from beneath his mustache. Mm. He found calluses on her fingers, the sort made from handling a bowstring. Always glad to meet a sister of the bow. Chania beamed with gladness at the attention, having expected nothing like it in what she had originally perceived, a transient settlement of barbaric ruffians. Thank you, gentlemen. They settled back into chairs and clustered around the small table as drinks arrived. So what was Kaffir so excited about? I thought you gave him the boot several moons ago. With amused fascination, Chania observed as Gan snatched her his tankard and sampled its contents, becoming occupied in a deep draft. Thasgar spoke up, knowing Gan's shyness despite his outward gruffness. Kaffir's gotten wind about our recent good fortune and thinks we might be good at finding veins of sapphire, gold, and such. Also, he's short on honest men, it seems, and wants us to work for him again. Having scrutinized them all in his strange fashion, Derwan spoke up. Isn't mining extremely profitable work? <laughs> if you manage to live through it, tis. I hear a story coming. The name's Derwan. He offered a strong hand which Thasgard gripped readily, hmm. then nodded at the elf on the other side of Clough. And this is Lazar, Chania's personal guard. Seems like you've got a story to tell concerning this Kaffir and his mine. Aye, but only if you're interested. I'm admittedly curious. Well, not too long past, Gon and I were freehands for a couple of the mines, depending on which one was producing at the time. We weren't members of the guild, so we could float to whichever paid best. Wouldn't being in the guild be preferable? Getting first picks and all that? Thasgar shrugged. Hmm. Becoming a guild member requires knowing people who know people, nosing the right, uh... He wasn't <coughs> sure just how refined was Chania, and did not want to insult her with diatribes concerning the politics of the guild. Uh, at the time, Gon and I didn't know each other except in passing. Much to his dislike, any dwarves laboring for the men were always kept separate, he didn't say, and treated as little more than mules. He was a tunnel mapper and surveyor. I was a watchman keeping track of workers entering and leaving the mines and keeping out scavengers. One afternoon last season, while I was posting guard, a cave-in crumbled a new shaft deep in the mine. All hands are called to dig out trapped miners. Luckily, there were only five caught, and they were near the start of the collapse. It only took a short while to dig them out. After they were taken out, the shaft boss, <laughs> the fellow you just saw limp out of here, assigned me, one other watchman, and gone to remounting a support to brace a weak wall. Usually, this would be too few men to carry out the job, but Kaffir was using the opportunity of a possible accident to rid himself of trustworthy Gon and me. 
The other watchman was the one who reported us as the long tongues who were telling on cheating miners who were probably sharing their takes with Kaffir. Engrossed in the tale, Derwan leaned forward over his untouched tankard, his black eyes probing. Why did you stay to do that job if you knew it was dangerous? Thasgar shrugged again. Eh? The tunnel had already collapsed and therefore was settled again, supposedly making it secure. Besides, leaving an assigned job risks losing your place in the mine and no chance of being hired by others. First, we had to clear out rubble to make space for the new support. While we piled it further up the shaft, Gon stopped and beat on the wall with his hammer. The other watchman didn't know this was a means of checking the walls for safety and snatched Gon's hammer away from him, telling him he was mad. Gon had heard something when he was banging the wall, so instead of arguing, he shushed the fellow and put his ear to the wall to listen. After a moment, he said he could hear the rock getting ready to shift again. The other fellow scoffed at him for just being lazy and too short to be worth anything. At that instant, Gon jumped away from the wall and shoved me to the other side of the tunnel. Arr, and it weren't easy shoving you. Thasgar smiled at his friend. <laughs> The entire ceiling collapsed. When you're under it, it seems like the rock falls forever. But it was for only a moment or two, then everything settled again. The other watchman was crushed and killed instantly, his side of the tunnel nothing but solid stone after the collapse. Gon had moved us to a stronger section where we were hit with only a mild tumble, comparatively. I started moving some of the rubble. We were blocked in. But Gon demanded I stop and allow him to do the moving. He chose key pieces of stone, explaining that if I move the wrong ones, the rubble would shift and crush us like the other fellow had been. Soon he made a hole big enough for both of us to crawl out. And I will add... He gave a comradely pat on Gon's shoulder. That he took extra time, sour air, lacerated fingers, and much effort to make a hole large enough for me to squeeze through. He could have mulled his way through in the first moments and left me behind. Didn't want your spirit haunting me if I'd left you there. And in conclusion, after resigning our posts on the spot, I brought my new friend and benefactor to this tavern, where I discovered his bottomless thirst for Trisk and, occasionally, ale. Gaywan happened to be here at the time and, obviously being of the friendly sort, started up with, looks like you fellas just crawled out from a pile of rocks. We joined him that day as equal associates in the various ventures he and Clough take. His story finished. Thasgar followed his friend's example and helped himself to his drink. Equal associates. I'm learning how important being equal is to those not of royal blood. Though I've never considered myself better than my fellow elf, I've been shocked to discover that most, if not all persons not of high position, consider themselves below those who are. I like the idea of joining forces with this group already, even though I've not met the Enchanter yet. Just how many are you? We three, plus Gawan and Flina, five in all. She clasped her hands on the table. Well, after an initial impression that I confess was completely unfavorable, I am looking forward to meeting this enchanter named Gawan. Love 
sitting partially on the bed, partially on his torso, as she ran her fingers through the swirl of short hair covering his chest. The double suns, climbing toward mid-morning, shone brightly through the window and onto her back, warming her as she lay beside her lover, both luxuriating in the afterglow. I'm curious about something. Mm, what's that? Did you ever dream of me or someone like me before we met? Yes. Yes, of course. She looked into his eyes. Tell me. Let me see how much I can remember. In no hurry, she pressed her ear against his chest and listened to the slow, steady beat of his heart. Meanwhile, Glink scampered about the room, his claws rattling across the floor. He had been unusually scatty after waking and seemed to be chasing an invisible quarry. The enchanter hummed as he contemplated his memories. Flaina felt herself relax deeply as the vibrations of his music resounded in his chest and enveloped her ears. When I was no more than five riads old, I met you in the dream state. I was walking down a path bordered with ivy that led through an evergreen forest. The morning was bright, with the suns sending streams of gold and rose through the high branches to the ground. Walking toward me came a girl with reddish-brown hair and tapered ears. She looked about, apparently bewildered, and asked, Where am I? And I answered happily, You're in my dream. It's all right. Upon exchanging smiles, we continued our separate ways, but something told me we would meet again. Hmm. She beamed contentedly at the short tale. Any other dreams? Yes, but I won't tell them all right now. You'd get bored with me and leave to find another. She lifted herself to frown at him, then with two fingers yanked out one of his chest hairs. Ouch! That's for doubting my devotion. She flicked the hair away. I'll remember that. Have you ever dreamed of me? She smiled secretly. Yes, but I don't want to lose your interest too soon. If you had a hair anywhere on your beautiful bosom, he grinned mischievously as he ran a hand over her breasts, I'd have my revenge. My advantage, love. Once again, I triumph. He tossed her hair lightly. Any more triumphs and you'll be serving as the king's champion. She touched a finger to his chin. He will always be my warm-hearted king. Seeing the tenderness shining in his eyes, she moved on to him again and kissed him, first gently, then deeply. Chapter 17 Dr. Brinth poured over the contents of the folder once again to make sure he hadn't missed anything out of the ordinary. His eyes getting tired, for it was well into the evening. He shifted his desk lamp over and continued scanning the pages of Paul Bach's medical file. Other than standard height, weight, blood type, and sensory response information, there were the listings of common childhood illnesses, necessary inoculations and booster shots, most performed by a public health center in his hometown. 
As with any student attending the university, Paul's entire childhood medical history had to be submitted as part of the acceptance process. Thus, everything Maximilian needed to know about him was easily obtainable. A short visit to the infirmary, a brief mind-blanking exercise on the attendant nurse, and a quick rifling through the file cabinets brought the necessary information to his fingertips. Also helpful was the fact of Paul's economic independence from his family. Notarized university documents stated he had officially forsworn his mother, the only member of the in order to prevent any interference with his educational plans. He smiled to himself at how easy this would be, a mild poisoning, undetectable of course, that would remove Paul from the active scene with apparent sickness and make feasible his departure from the university. For, if Maximilian had understood Sacandra correctly, Paul would not remain in this world. A slender hand stroked his white shirt over his left pectoral. Clever thinking, darling. Bloody hell! Maximilian jumped forward in his upholstered chair. He had believed himself alone and jerked his head around. Those alluring blue eyes gazed steadily back at him as she casually rested a hip on the arm of his chair. I didn't mean to startle you. Just how did you get in here? She pursed her lips in a teasing smile. I have my ways. Just as you have yours. Settling back in his seat again, he slapped the folder onto his desktop. <sighs> Any more surprises like that, and I'll be good for nothing more than a guy fox lying on the bloody sidewalk. Please don't do that again. He became keenly aware of the snug-fitting skirt outlining her firm hip next to his right arm. Yes, darling. Anything you wish. She reached around him to rub his shoulders. My, we're tense, aren't we? Relenting from his flash of anger, for her massage felt rather good, he closed eyes and pinched the bridge of his nose. All this planning I'm having to do to get this Paul Bach for Sacandra is a bit of a stress. And just what sort of poison? He shook his head, then shrugged into her massage as his muscles loosened. Her hands were cool, yet warmed him sensually as she touched him. No, no, not just poison. There's a matter... He stopped as he realized she must have read his mind again. Only surface thoughts, darling. Saves time, don't you think? She paused in her shoulder rubbing to lean over and smile impishly at him with his stunned expression. Bugger. He decided there was no point in discussing the matter. And she's correct about saving time. She sat up again and continued her massage. I am glad that settled. Now, you were saying... I can't go poisoning the lad like some Victorian mystery novel. For one thing, he must be alive and subdued for Sicandra. For another, there mustn't be any questions that might lead to an investigation. The university campus is a much tighter society than the outside world. If anything is thought to be amiss, foul play, illegal drugs, and so on... Things could get rather sticky. 
She moved her strong fingers down between his shoulder blades. And how do you plan to avert these questions? I assume it has to do with his medical record? He allowed himself some smugness. Just a bit of editing is all. Created a history of chronic gastritis or ulcerative colitis. He is a drama student, and those fellows do have to deal with bouts of anxiety, stage fright and such, don't they? And how convenient that such emotional turmoil has a tendency to settle in the liver and the digestive tract, one way or another. She got up from the arm of his chair and came around to sit on his desk as she faced him. All right, you've got him with stomach problems and poisoned. Then what? He noticed her naked legs were shaven smooth and quite shapely. The desk lamp reflected off her kneecaps, highlighting every subtle bump of the joints. No, I've got him with stomach problems that seem to have become acute, making him too ill to attend classes and rehearsals regularly for several weeks. When this happens, tis common for said student to withdraw from the university a sort of medical leave until they're in better health. Thus, no one will wonder what's happened to him when he disappears. And just how will you poison him? Carefully, you can be sure. T'would be highly irregular for me to be seen poking about the dormitories, and I have to learn his eating habits and drinking ones, if any. Hmm. He frowned in thought and tugged at his goatee. If he's like most of these young American males, he probably imbibes considerable quantities of alcohol in one form or another. That would make this much easier. He estimated her youthful appearance. Hmm. No one would notice another female student hanging around. Perhaps you can help in that department. My pleasure. Sokondra did send me to help. She reached over and loosened his tie. How can you wear this thing so neatly all day? Doesn't it get tight? Mm, collegiate propriety, professorial image, and all that, don't you know? He gave a dismissive shrug, surprised at how comfortable he felt with her close attention. I'm rather used to it. Her hands felt smooth against his neck as she gently jerked at his collar. Trying to ignore her, he grimaced as he looked on either side of her skirted hips and patted his desk blotter. You're sitting on the file I need, Miss, um... What is your name? He finally brought himself to look up into her eyes, sparkling like the blue depths of a tropical ocean. She leaned back again and smirked with private amusement. As I said before, my name depends. He twitched his mouth back and forth with disgruntlement. Come now, you must have a name. What name would you like? Deciding she wasn't going to help in this particular endeavor in their budding acquaintanceship, he started looking for his cigarettes, his ease of the moment ebbing. Just like yesterday afternoon when she first barged into his office unannounced, she was doing a splendid job of unsettling him. A smoke would help quiet his nerves. I'd like a fag, actually. If you would jolly well get out of the way, I might be able to find them. Now why would you want one of those smelly things, Maximilian? You know they're bad for you. 
Don't you want to quit? One blow. I let her run my shoulders and loosen my tie, and now she's nagging. Damn hell, female. Too late, he remembered she could read those thoughts and cursed himself for daring to relax around her. To his surprise, she didn't act insulted. Now that you've got it out of your system, darling. She crossed her legs. Perhaps we can be sensible partners. I may be damnable, but there are things you like about females, aren't there? Partners? What's this? He scowled, feeling an increasing urge for a smoke. Without further preamble, she unbuttoned her white blouse. I've got something that would taste much better in your mouth. Before he knew it, she pulled aside her open blouse to reveal a pair of the most beautiful breasts he had ever seen. And though he had bedded some very lovely women, hers were so much more appealing, firmness despite their ample size, the symmetric shape of her areolas, and the pleasing color of her nipples. The satin luster of her unblemished skin gleamed in the cone of light from the lamp. I can be any woman you want, Maximilian. She arched her back slightly and cupped hands invitingly around her breasts. Isn't this better than dominating them like you have all these years? I, uh, I, I never. Why am I feeling so off-kilter around her? He was no inexperienced schoolboy sexually. Sex with a young woman in my office would feel too much like a scene out of a backroom novel. Besides, I dominated them because I never believed... Someone would ever want you? I want you, darling. She leaned over, grabbed him by the shirt, pulled him up, and kissed him deeply. Reluctant in mind at first, Maximilian felt his body respond eagerly, passionately, as if some spell had been cast. Perhaps she's correct. Before, he had always been the one to call the shots, manipulate the copulation. But now, for the first time in his life, he was not in control. Yet he was enjoying this kiss unlike any before, thrilling in it like a pre-teenager making his first steps into the physical intimacy, the sinful pleasure of mouths pressing together. We are consenting adults, both experienced, obviously. Yet, there was an aura of wickedness about her, like a subtle perfume that evaded the outward senses and insinuated itself on the erotic energy surging up from his subconscious. This is wrong, sinful, but so delicious. She was so beautiful, her lips so warm, so soft, her tongue silky as it played and teased with his. Before he knew it, he was sliding his hands along her thighs and up her skirt. She wore no undergarments. At the same time, she reached down and opened his trousers. Satisfy me, Maximilian. She kissed his neck fervently. Their motions became frantic, each pawing off the other's clothing. Enjoy me while you can. Let me devour you. And though a distant part of him protested at the crudity of it, he found his body moving of its own accord. He climbed upon her, laying naked on his desktop, and, with her hands forcing him down, penetrated her. Being after eight o'clock on a Wednesday evening, 
No one was in the hallway near Dr. Brent's office in the medical school when someone might have heard the sounds of their lusty oh. delight. <laughs>